Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Hello. How are you doing in the heat? All right. We record the podcast in my loft, of course, and we've had to open windows and, and doors and we've got a fan going. So if there's a bit more background atmos than usual, yeah. that's why. It's pretty sweaty. It is pretty sweaty. If you want to take your shirt off, that's fine. <laughs> tempting, but not well, tempting not enough. Not tempting. Um, hey, I've got some news. Yes. So... I've mentioned before on the podcast that my wife is American. She's going to take the test to um, get indefinite leave to remain in this country. So she's got a, a book called Living in the UK that she's got to revise. Yes. And then she's got to answer all these questions uh, for the citizenship test, I guess. How many of them could you answer? Well, uh, there's an app you can get for your phone and the test is 24 questions, but I think there's a pool of thousands yeah. of questions and I keep failing it. 75% is the pass rate. So I thought I could test you on some of the questions. Oh my God. Okay, go on. Uh, in which year was Punch magazine first published? Was it... 1846, 1841, 1861 or 1901? 1861. 1841, Ed. When did Scotland abolish authority of the Pope? 1450, 1501, 1600 or 1560? Are you serious that that is a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be mm, because it must be after the English Reformation. So it's the last 16 something. That's 1560. Yeah. Uh, how many Olympic gold medals does Chris Hoy have? Is it two, seven, five, or six? Five. Six. <laughs> One more. How long is the bio tapestry in meters? Oh, for f- <laughs> 40, 73, or 12? Ah. Uh, uh, 73. 
Well, it's 70, yes. Yeah, the lie of the 71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well done, you got one right. I rescued myself. I mean, can you believe these questions? Are there few enough that you can just memorise the answers? No, there aren't. I mean, it's a, it's a book. It's as thick as a paperback book about living in the UK. But, I mean, how is any of this stuff relevant to in terms of the information you need to live in this country how as an immigrant? It's quite something, isn't it? At least I got one right. You need questions about which side of the escalators to sit on. Sit on. You need yeah. questions about which... No, no, you don't get to do that again. Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely, should you A, sit on the escalator on the left, B, sit on the right, or C, neither of these two? Uh, that is so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. God, I think most people would fail it. I mean, it reminded me of the education episode we did with, uh, you know, Michael Gove bringing in and wrote learning of lists of kings and queens and I can't dates. Can't believe and things. how difficult it is. It's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got one out of four, which I don't think your citizenship can be revoked on the basis of that, though. Mm, no, but are there any questions on blockchain in the citizenship <laughs> test? Well, that's what we're he talking. He said, making a screechingly yeah, the, no, bad no, that was a beautiful segue. segue. How, how many episodes are we in now? Like 45. 40, 45. And like, I mean, look how far you've come. That was a beautiful bit Thank of you. hosting there. So, we're talking about blockchain, everything you always wanted to know about blockchain and were afraid to ask. And we're talking about blockchain and whether it can be put to good use. And, and really, I think the central idea here is if we're worried about the dominance of tech companies that store all this data, have all this information, does a sort of decentralized system like blockchain, which I gather it is. Uh, does that offer a way forward? And we've got, we bring together two experts, uh, one of whom isn't based in this country, he's based in Spain, who happens to be here for a conference to talk about this. And I, I've always wanted to really understand what this blockchain thing is. I've asked people on a number of occasions and yeah. they, they start explaining and, and then your eyes guess, blaze over. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think today's going to be today's, our day. Today's the day. Yeah. And we're going to be joined by comedian Vicky Stone, who's going to be uh, pitching ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. What's your reason to be cheerful? The Edinburgh Festival. Yes. So um, at the end of the week, we're going up to the Edinburgh Fringe and we're going to be performing there. We are. At the Pleasance Grand. We're going to be recording the podcast live on stage, which I'm very excited about. But also I'm going to be up there for a while because my wife is doing stand-up comedy in Edinburgh and um, I get to hang out in Edinburgh during the Fringe, which is the largest arts festival in the world. And it's just an exciting place to be. So that's my reason to be cheerful. And that links to mine. So last night uh, we had what was called the Culture Crawl in Doncaster, uh, organised by an amazing young woman called Rachel Horn, um, who is an artist, um, produces a magazine called Doncopolitan uh, in Doncaster about the Doncaster culture art scene. And honestly, it was an absolutely fantastic set of events with music, uh, painting, um, a sort of a preview of the Miners Memorial that we're going to have in Doncaster, uh, lots and lots of people attending a vegan restaurant. I went to Doncaster's only vegan restaurant, uh, set up by a young man who, who just sort of had the idea a few months ago. And, um, and honestly, we, we're planning this big culture year in 2020 in Doncaster and, uh, with big national institutions. But what it showed to me is just a fantastic sort of vibrancy of local grassroots art scene and also what's really important you know it was partly inspired by the culture episode we did the the whole 2020 thing about you know its ability to just really sort of you know not just to change the spirit of the town but sort of capture the character of the town attract people and so on (laughs) 
This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're delighted to be joined by Sama Hassan, who is a researcher at Harvard University and UCM in Madrid, uh, and also recently received a 1.5 million euro grant to build blockchain-based democratic and sustainable organisations. Sama, hello. <laughs> Hi, thanks a lot so, for being here. The scales are going to fall from our uh, eyes today. Hopefully. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to start by asking you to talk to Ed and myself as if we were a pair of eight-year-olds. And quite... I think that's not fair to eight-year-olds. <laughs> they, know, they understand much <laughs> yeah. better than us. Okay. With very limited understanding. We're, we're the bottom of the class of the eight-year-olds. I feel like people have tried to explain blockchain to me over and over again, and I almost get the click, but I never quite do. So can, can you explain blockchain and what it's used for? Okay, I'll try. <laughs> so the way I see it, is typically we are used to visiting websites. doesn't matter if it's a Google Maps, for example, or if it's a Wikipedia. We are interacting with a website. This website is somewhere, right? We say the cloud doesn't exist. It's just someone else's computer. So this is... We are connecting to another computer. Okay, I'm with you so far. That's good. Yeah, this that's is the right. furthest I've ever gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we interact with these websites yeah. that are in other people's computers. Yeah. These computers are usually called servers yeah. because they are 24 hours working. A server stores information or stores data and computes, executes instructions. Typically, we have a lot of laptops or a lot of computers connecting to the same website in order to in, in, uh, interact, extract information or have this service or whatever. Regardless of which website today, it's always centralized. It's always in the server that we are connecting to, right? The blockchain is another way of doing this a way of having the, both the storage and the computation distributed in the network. So there is no server. So when you connect to the web service, you access the data or you interact with a service that you want some operation to be executed, there is no server, just a network of nodes. A tiny so, bits of information on Ed's computer and on my computer and on your uh, computer. Well, not and, exactly. It's okay. actually, I mean... The same information on everybody's exactly. computer. Exactly. Very good. Right. Exactly. Okay. Going up into the, <laughs> into the next to bottom set. <laughs> Instead of trying to spread pieces of information and after synchronize or to, to, to locate where is whatever, we have the same, all the information in all the computers. That's it. But how does that happen? Like, don't, don't I need to get a new hard drive? Is that not going to take up a lot of memory well, if all actually, the information uh, is on Data is very cheap. Hard drives are very cheap. We yeah. can store so much right now. Right. Bitcoin is the most typical example of blockchain. That is, the service that it provides is a currency. That's it, right? Uh, and that is, and just because I don't want to get into the total detail of Bitcoin, but that is a, a, a currency and the and the sort of guarantee of the way the currency, who owns it and so on, that is stored on lots and lots of computers. Yes, it is. The code, the way it is programmed, sets the rules on how it works. And the data is stored in a lot of computers. That's it. And the updating of this data, which is basically operations, the execution of the computation of that a server would do, it's also distributed. 
So okay, I think I'm. I think I, that's. I'm sort of I haven't lot completely lost the plot so far. No, I haven't. And I'm also thinking, like, do we need to sit here and talk about exactly how it no. works? Would it be like sitting in 1990 and you explaining how the internet works and not actually what you could do with the internet? Yeah. yeah. So, so I right. think that's. So yeah. I think let's sort of quit the that bit while we're ahead. Yes. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> and then, so before we get into the detail of what you are trying to do, in theory. Why might blockchain be like a good thing? I mean, what, what what's sort of good about it? I mean, you've explained pretty well what it is. What what what's like? What why should we be interested in this? Okay, so I think blockchain is a new type of distributed technology that can do things that we couldn't do before. We could do it before with central nodes, yeah, but we couldn't do it as good in a distributed manner, yeah. So it's not sitting in Google Mountain View, whatever it's called. It's sitting in lots of different nodes, right? Yes. I get that. And that's good because? Well, uh, today we have a big problem of concentration of power in a few large scale corporations that concentrate centralized technology that we all depend on. And the more time passes, the more we depend on more platforms, right? More and more fields are being platformized or whatever. So where well, somebody owns the platform, exactly Uber, Google, exactly. Uh, Facebook, you, you name yeah. it. Yeah. And, and in practice, the internet with this model is creating winner-takes-all markets. Yeah, where it's basically whenever one platform is successful, it creates a monopoly, and we all depend on YouTube for videos, or on Google for searches, or on Facebook for meeting friends, or whatever. And because it's so easy for the technology to spread and for people to use it, it it's got this tendency towards sure. market dominance and monopoly. But not only. It's because also because of the centralization of the technology. If the technology was not structurally centralized, it would be much easier for newcomers to arrive and, and not have a monopoly. In, right. in practice, if I launch a new social network, I cannot compete with Facebook. It's completely unfeasible. Yeah. It's very, very hard to compete with Airbnb in housing. Because of all the stuff that sits on their servers. Well, in, in practice, if I if, let's say that I want to set up a, a new Airbnb. Yeah. You have the reputation. Your reputation history is already in Airbnb. Yeah. All the listings of houses in Airbnb. It's not only the brand, but it's all the data, the history, the listings, the governance rules. The, the barriers of competition are super high. I mean, the barriers of entry to these markets, it's impossible. I cannot create a new Airbnb, yeah. even if it's better. And Jeff B&B can't, you couldn't start yeah. advertising Jeff B&B on Airbnb. But how is that different to in the real world? Like, I, if I wanted to open my own supermarket, it'd be really difficult to compete with Tesco's. Sure, but you can open a Chinese restaurant in your neighborhood. If you have an, a good service, at least locally, other people would go to your restaurant, yeah. right? In, in I'm not sure I'd go to Jeff's Chinese, but that's not really good. Oh, it's not good. <laughs> we can. I'm very good with the I, walk. I, I can't sorry, use sorry, British sorry. food. <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so um, in, in the case of a platform, you need critical, critical mass. You need to yeah. reach critical mass in order for it to succeed. You, you cannot work with a few clients. You need to scale. And you cannot reach critical mass. Because no one will come to you because everything is centralized in that right. other server that is not interoperable, is not sharing their data, is not allowing others to access their data in order to enable, you know, new yeah, yeah. services. It's not, they are not incentivized to do that. That's a long preamble. So these distributed nodes, yeah, 
what what's the sort of fantasy then about what it could produce before we get onto the practical reality okay so imagine that we had um let's continue with the airbnb example yeah so if i had instead of having one centralized airbnb and uh, I might like the rules or I might not like it, and doesn't matter. I have to use that one because there is nothing else, right? Um, instead of that, I, for example, arrive to a new city and there are multiple Airbnbs are available. They all share the same reputation. So whenever I use one, my reputation history is used in the others. They all share the same listings. I don't access more houses or less houses depending on the service that I use. So the only thing that changes is the rules. The, the the rules or okay in this one it's anonymous for example but it's more expensive in this one in this other if something goes wrong there is a very good insurance that pays that reduces the risk impact for example in this other it has rules that are adapted to the local context or whatever so basically it's very easy for the user to move and to not stay in one, but maybe depending on the circumstances, depending on where they are going, they are using the one that it's more convenient. In such a context where the services are sharing a lot of stuff, it's much more difficult to do a lock-in of the user. It's much more difficult to create a monopoly in that. In such there a context, there could be Jeff Book. I mean, in Facebook, you know, there could be lots of Facebooks. But okay, so Airbnb, yeah, Airbnb. Uh, that's good. I like that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, w- but okay, so I'm with you so far. But why does blockchain and and and, and you know we've talked before about this problem of the monopoly and all that. What what why does blockchain make that easier? So blockchain can first decentralize the technology. So there is not one single owner of the infrastructure like today. Where there is an owner of the servers and an owner of the software deployed in that server. With blockchain, you can deploy servers. There doesn't need to be a dependency on the one that developed it. Mm-hmm. It can be, but it can also not be, and it depends on the code and how it is written. With blockchain, we can share much easier pieces of this infrastructure because of this knows serverless infrastructure where it, that we don't depend on these central nodes. It's distributed in a network okay also it's much easier to transfer value so the cryptocurrencies thing it's just a way of transferring value typically when we want to transfer economic value we need to depend on banks and for software developers out there it's a pain to deal with software transferring money with blockchain we don't have that issue because the software can automatically transfer tokens and, and cryptocurrency in a very smooth way. Also, the tokens can be used not only for currencies, but also, for example, for voting or for reputation. Okay, I, I'm sort of with you, I think, so far-ish. But here's a question. Why isn't the answer to this problem, I'm not saying this removes the need for blockchain, why isn't the answer to this problem public infrastructure? So if you think about the problem of um Uber in London, Uber's got its license in in the end for at least for a bit longer. But, you know, if TFL, Transport for London, had a sort of public infrastructure and then lots of Uber-type people could compete on it. So in other words, there is one central server and et cetera, but it's public. Is the choice here sort of state versus non-state? I mean, in other words, what's the balance between those two things? 
Okay, so there are blockchain maximalists that think that blockchain will replace everything. I am not one of right. them. <laughs> so I think the state has a role yeah. to play. Yeah. And they're allowing publicly funded infrastructure that yeah. is centralized, but is transparent, is paid by yeah. taxpayers and whatever. It can make sense for certain yeah. cases. Would that still use blockchain, though? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not no. necessarily. Yeah. And, and for certain use cases, it might make yeah. more sense than blockchain. Yeah. And yet, for other other cases, we may want a blockchain, uh, especially for example, for creating interoperable ecosystems. Yeah, interoperable or, uh, system. Uh, uh, ecosystems, like yeah. not only as a, a centralized system, but yeah. an ecosystem where multiple yeah. actors can play or interact and whatever. And and you've got this one and a half million euros. Yeah. What do you want to come out of that? I mean, what? Or, or, I don't mean they're just the one and a half million, but what would you, what what's the sort of what do you think could be the long term? you know, not utopia, but sort of thing. Applications. That, application. Yeah. So I typically, my, my work is focused on decentralized collaboration. So I care a lot about how people collaborate together and accomplish things uh, collaborating together using new, uh, internet, basically. And then I care a lot about collaborative economy. So collaborative economy understood from the Wikipedia or open source systems to crowdfunding or or the more sharing economy like Airbnb and Uber yeah. or whatever. And we see these, these problems that we were talking about, like a, centrali a centralization of the technology that is relying on these owners of the infrastructure, a centralization of the governance that relies on the owners of this infrastructure, that is usually classical hierarchical corporations. And then there is a huge difference of power between the communities and these owners, these corporations. And the economic... Uh, profit that is again centralizing the owners of the infrastructure and the communities even though they are the ones that create the value they receive either nothing or just leftovers so the research question of this project peer-to-peer -peer models is can we create platforms in another way can we create platforms in a way where the infrastructure is decentralized, so there is not a single owner of the infrastructure, and we can create these ecosystems that we were talking about. Can we create platforms that are democratically governed? So you might come along and say, um, you know, for uh, people who want to rent their house for a bed and breakfast, can we design a blockchain technology which makes this possible in a decentralized way? Is that right? With the Airbnb, yes. We we. Ideally, we would want alternatives to Airbnb that are decentralized, that are governed by the users, and where profit right. goes much more to the users than to fund decentralized platform. Is there other particular areas you well, think? Projects that you, yeah. you're working on. We're going to be carrying out pilots with existing communities, so mature communities that are out there. We already are working with um, with Giphy, that is um, the largest community network that uh, there is today. Uh, in, in It's like kind of an internet that is not provided by Verizon or Comcast, but is provided by a local community. Is, where is it? It's mostly in Catalonia. Right. Um, or... Or Amara, that is the largest uh, community of sub subtitles. Like the volunteers and freelancers create subtitles. So if you want a video to be subtitled... Definitely. You... It's a massive problem. Yeah. So you can pay them. I was them. only having this problem this week. <laughs> so you can pay Amara yeah. and they will do it yeah. for a fee. Or the volunteers will subtitle the videos that they are interested in. Yeah. But if you want the, your video in particular, you have to pay. And how would blockchain work for this subtitling thing? So we talk with them and they are interested 
first in distributing power, the power of the governance. Instead of the, being the, the foundation taking all the decisions, they want to be more inclusive with the people participating. We could also um, explore ways of distributing value, of making automatic payments to people that are contributing right. in, uh, to certain subtitles. They automatically receive the payment for the contribution that they have done. How do we move from the way that we're living at the moment with this top-down big tech corporations to a more democratized future with blockchain? Do those companies need breaking up? What are the steps that need to happen to get us from now to there? At least in the beginning, as in the, this transition period, I think decentralization is a trend and I hope that it will continue growing. But it's very difficult today to compete with Airbnb. To, to enter in that market. The way I see it, if you offer a startup, a new startup that wants to disrupt a field or whatever, right? They typically don't go to the already disrupted fields. They don't go to the ones that there is already a monopoly. They want to go to, to other fields, right? There is a 99.9% .9 of probability that you will disappear from now to in five years, for sure. But there is a 0.01% of probability that you will become a monopoly. If you, instead of trying to build a centralized infrastructure, you create your service in this open ecosystem, you will have, a, let's say, 30% of chances of succeed, but you will not be able to create a monopoly. Right. Well, I would say that most entrepreneurs would prefer the second option. Why have they got more chance of succeeding in the decentralized uh, well, basically, world? Basically, because not everything is centralized in one single uh, actor. I it's see, just, I see. It's, it's not winner-take-all. It's an, it's an open see. market. So. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And how, okay, so then the next question is: We've got something called the Jeffocracy. So that's Jeff. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know, it's a sort of fantasy world. Some people think it's a sort of nightmare dystopia. I think uh, of it as a utopia. Uh, um, if Jeff became the ruler, and, supreme ruler, uh, supreme ruler. Okay, uh, and uh, it's going to his head already. And uh, <laughs> and he he said to you, "Never mind your grant from the European Union. Uh, I want you to come and be my technology guru." Okay. Um, what's the thing, what's the sort of first few things that you would do or first thing you would do to sort of, you know, you're in charge of Britain, you're in charge of technology for Britain. What would you do? Well, I would try to support with regulation and with, uh, with um, funds, well, publicly funded infrastructure that is creating ecos open ecosystems where people can join. Through blockchain. Through blockchain. Yeah, I would definitely do that. I would try to encourage more platform cooperativism initiatives more than the classical startup yeah. that is more towards creating the monopoly approach and a platform cooperative co so approach. It's more like inclusive and makes more sense in uh, in the ecosystem that we're talking about because it's, it takes into account the users already that are participating, that are governing the platform and stuff like that. Has he got the job? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure I, what he'll be like as a boss, but uh, I think I will be a great boss because I, I don't understand most of it, so I'll just say yes. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. the best kind of politician. Yes, yeah. Sama, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Well, I'm delighted that we're joined now by Alice Casey, who's head of new operating models at Nesta and is chairperson of Democracy Club, which is a community of 10,000 volunteers whose mission is to use open data design and technology to give every citizen the information and participation opportunities they need. Alice, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. We've been talking about blockchain with Sama. How does blockchain fit into the work being done by Nesta? 
So I think what it represents is it's one of a number of um, technologies that you might call decentralised. And that basically means that it's not structured in a top-down way. And what's interesting about decentralised structures is that it's allowing people to work and operate in different ways. So where you see um, platform models like um, Uber and Airbnb, which people hear about a lot in the collaborative economy, um, they are essentially creating um, a sort of middleman platform for people to work through and they make the rules of how the interaction works. But with decentralised structures, including blockchain, but other tools too, um, we can see ways that you sort of remove that middleman and you allow people to self-organise. And that's quite exciting. And what do you think the potential is and where might the potential most obviously be? What blockchain allows you to do is to verify that a transaction's happened in a way as people getting very excited about a sort of fancy database um, but what that database allows you to do is to um, take away the need for the intermediary so the kinds of applications that could be interesting are ones where the intermediary is adding some sort of challenge or burden into a service or adding a layer of extra trust being required in the way something's delivered so to take an example social care or something like that we're quite interested in how people can self-organize to provide things for themselves in their communities that they might need and access resources that they might need in a more peer-to-peer way rather than having to go through a centralized service all the time to to get access to them so what would that mean in practice for something like social care which is obviously a massive social problem the main thing that i would um, think about is how you log that an interaction's happened and that would be in the more informal sense so if you think about things like time banking which you might have come across before there's an interesting platform that's still quite early stage called Hullcoin where people are looking at how Hullcoin Hull as in H-U-L-L Hull Um, and Hullcoin is looking at um, how people can uh, perform a socially sort of positive action and get some sort of kind of coin in um, return for it which is basically a token um, so that's quite an interesting which they way. can then use for other which purposes. they can use for other purposes and put back into the system so it's also related to local economies and trying to work out how people sort of keep value how in interesting local and how would that be related to blockchain then Um, So the technology that allows those interactions to be logged and allows people to know what has happened um, is the blockchain that sits behind it. I'm on Hullcoin. I'm really good at um, making nice sandwiches for people, (laughs) by which hangs another tale between me and Jeff. You know, I offer to kind of go around, make sandwiches. Mm -hmm. If somebody says I want someone to make sandwiches for my elderly mum, take them around to her every lunchtime. I go and do that. I say, well, actually, I'm really good at making my own sandwiches. And for your mum, I go yeah. around and take them, you know, and it what takes happens? me, what, five hours a week, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and the, the mum loves the sandwiches. It's all, everyone's happy. And, you know, I tell her about my sandwich chain idea. Um, but leave that to one side. Um, what, what then happens? Do I, what do I do? Do I log on whole coin and d- does the mum or the care of the mum confirm it? Is that? That's a- more or less it. Right. Yeah. So people verify, um, that, that it was something done. has happened yeah. and that it's pretty much what you said. Now, there's and challenges. And why is that not like TaskRabbit, for example? Yeah, exactly. TaskRabbit is a more sort of capitalist version of it. Yeah. TaskRabbit is basically a centralized platform so TaskRabbit is an intermediary and they will take a commission from that interaction right. and they will control the database I and own see. the data so they ah, sit in the middle right um so things like Hullcoin are decentralized so you are creating um a copy of the truth of what has happened so you know ed made 
yeah. five hours spent yeah. five hours doing great sandwiches yeah. and mrs jones received yeah. those very gladly yeah. um and you will make your own copies of that you'll switch and verify that um between your two um uh, sort of computers um and then a record is made which is the truth um of but of, decentralized of not owned by Holcoin. exactly not owned by Holcoin. how interesting idea. yeah yeah so a lot of your focus has been on how public input can achieve better decision making. Does blockchain have a role to play in that? The simple answer is we don't really know yet. Uh, I think people would love it to be the answer to that and a lot of other things. Um, but at the minute, you know, finding really good use cases. I mean, Holcoin is just one like very, you know, relatively undeveloped example. And there's tons of issues that you might come across when doing that. But there are theories that, you know, you could use um, blockchain in some way to sort of verify things around voting or decision making or creating a public ledger of, um, in theory, this is, of how um, local decisions are made and how people are accountable to each other around more complex issues. Because what it might allow is for more people to be involved in um, sort of logging what their version is of of a, a, a truth and interaction. Um, so it has more scrutiny. But there are sort of big challenges around the scalability of it. So when you're sort of creating those records, each person's um, sort of copy of the blockchain is updating. Um, so that takes up loads of processing power. And that's so when my sandwiches thing, is that going to cause me a... Is that going to... Is it going to melt your computer? Yeah, melt my computer. <laughs> maybe, not one, maybe not one round. But not more round around the sandwiches. Yeah, maybe not one round. I just want to make clear, by the way, that yeah. for those people who are listening who think that, that sandwiches are not on appropriate meals on wheels for people at lunchtime. <laughs> this was simply a hypothetical example on a disclaimer here. But there are big environmental costs to do with yeah, blockchain are, and, yeah. and crypto challenges. Can you do, ex- explain yeah. why that is? I can um, explain it a little. So basically the processing power that it takes to be networking all these different computers and logging constantly, you know, back and forth, verifying across the network takes a lot of processing power. Um, and, and that is something that is hard to resolve but is it yeah. worse than a central one you know an amazon or a whoever you know task rabbit doing it in brief yes it is worse than a central server because it's got lots more interactions and a lot more involvement so there are some challenges around scalability um things like hollow chain and um our chain are looking at how that might um be sort of overcome but those are different more technical solutions that um i think are even sort of like more undeveloped at the moment um, but very exciting and interesting in themselves i I was saying to sam is it is this sort of anti-state? I didn't quite put it that way, mm. but is it anti-state or, or is it just saying we need to find a way that the private sector can do this in a, you know, cooperative social enterprise, non, non sort of monopolistic way? At its heart, it's a, it's a protocol. It's a way of doing things. It's like saying a spreadsheet has values in a way. So it depends what's being done with it. Because if you look at one end of the spectrum, you've got things like Bitcoin, Bitcoin. which is clearly... You know, very capitalist yeah. in its, yeah. in its, yeah. you know, what this, what surrounds it. And at the other, other end, you've got a lot of um, exciting things happening around open co ops and um, the platform co ops movement, which are very interesting areas. And is that using blockchain too? Um, they are trying to work out how best to incorporate it into the things that they're doing. So, platform co ops are very interesting at the moment because it's combining. Um, all of the governance models of co-ops that have natural limits around how many people you can have involved in sort of collaborative governance um, and trying to combine it with technologies that might allow you to scale that up and to do that 
um, in a federated way at scale so that many more people could be involved. Um, so that's quite exciting. But we've got some interesting examples of people using um, or trying to set up platform co-ops that allow multi-stakeholder involvement in care. So people who are carers become uh, recognised as uh, members of a co-op as well as um, the people who are receiving care. And that's quite interesting. And that's sort of trying to work out how the value exchanges happen between those individuals. And that's all about you know participation and empowerment of people. And I think you know that's quite an interesting premise to work on. Whether it can work, we need to test these things. We need more experimentation. We need more people trying projects out in these different ways. So I think platform co-ops are interesting because they can meet needs that are not commercial. They're not centralised. They're not um, funded in traditional ways. They're sort of like much more about social issues and much more focused around the individual or the family and what they need. So that's quite exciting. So we have a thing on the podcast, uh, a, a utopian future called the Jeffocracy, in which I'm the supreme leader. If if I was to make you the government, I mean, what would it be? Uh, Czar. Mr. Czar for technology. Um, day one, what, I mean, what do you do? You've got free reign. In in uh, today's climate, like I just join and the Jeffocracy. Yeah, and, and off you know, I whatever go. you you know, Jeff sitting in Downing Street. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. It's, mean, it's a big me in on the vision. It's yeah. a big surprise. I want to be very yeah. hands off right. myself. Okay. So I'm it's a big you surprise. A lot of autonomy. Yeah. He's sort of worrying about you know whether he's got Sky TV and on yeah. the Downing Street yeah, yeah. TV and you know you know his conversation with President Trump. Yes. Um, but he you know has a couple of minutes for you to say he wants to make you the technologies <laughs> are. Oh my god! Um, I think that maybe there are a couple of things that I would do. One would be around um, how to think about getting investment into different kinds of models, uh, because one of the big challenges is if you are not a purely venture-based model, uh, then it's very hard to get venture the kind capital, of capital yeah. you need. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say getting some investment into non-standard models that are more mutual or more social enterprise focused that would be really really important um i'm just trying to think of fun things now that you could do as well <laughs> well or even not fun i mean jeff's <laughs> going to take care of the fun i mean okay. it's going to be so like they be used to have fun. the yeah. ministry of fun you know it's yeah. just going to be the prime minister of fun okay. um but you're, you're like yeah. joe is not you know you can get on the, with the non-fun stuff Okay, well, maybe um, there's some interesting stuff happening around the Social Value Act then, if we're going to the non-fun end um, at the minute in response to Carillion, um, which could be quite interesting to strengthen how government commissions and what they commission at local authority level, which I think could start or lay the seeds. So who you buy from? Who you buy from. We've got massive purchasing power in the um, public sector. And this keeps coming up, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. And we've got a couple of projects at Nesta looking at um, procurement innovations, which I think, sat, I mean, you know, you said do the boring yeah, stuff. So, you that know, certainly sounds boring, but it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a bit important. Brilliant. Yep. And as long as I've got my Sky TV then installed. What then could go what, wrong? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Alice Casey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So what do you think? I think it's, there's something very interesting in the fact that um, you've got people who want to use this technology blockchain to to use good and put the power back in the hands of the people sort of cooperative and socially and social enterprise minded people but then at the other end of the spectrum it seems to be really advocated by these quite extreme yeah. libertarians who don't well, like the state yeah. yeah and um i mean i'd i'd like to think 
that it will end up in the hands of the former and that's where the growth will be. But, you know, that's not how it's tended to go with the internet, is it? I understand blockchain better than I did. And I kind of know what I don't need to understand, which is at least a step forward. Yes. Um, and I, you know, understand some of the basics or at least what the concept is. And I think this whole coin, because I went and looked at it uh, on the internet, I mean, whole coin is a quite an interesting example because, you know, it's trying to encourage people to sort of do kind of things for each other, but not sort of paying money, but just sort of contributing. And it's trying to find a a sort of lockdown way of doing it, you know, so that people are kind of honest and, you know, actually do do whatever they say they're going to do and so on. But it's not trying to sort of make lots of money and grab all the data for the people who founded Holcoin. So I don't know much about Holcoin. You're the first I know about it is what Alice said. But at least I can sort of see the you can see yeah. the idea. And I'd love to hear more. I'd love to hear more sort of examples of what people are doing or what they would like to do. Maybe the maybe the point about this is you know it's sort of what we've said before, which is you know we're we're kind of doing a series of different things, aren't we? Which are all trying to get at. How do you make the internet? How do you get back to the true original purposes of the internet? You're democratizing social equality, all of those things, rather than large technological behemoths that, you know, own all our data and, you know, scoop all the money for themselves. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you've got thoughts about what you've heard about blockchain, about getting us to the top of the class uh, in blockchain studies so we can become sort of chairs of blockchain studies somewhere at some academic institution what do you think jeff yeah also i'd I'd be interested in ideas about applications definitely of blockchain because um we have had this suggested on a number of occasions by people said why don't you do uh, an episode on this technology Um, and we've tried to sort of get into it but we'd love to hear your thoughts on how it could be used uh, for society, definitely, the country and the world a better place. And you can find us at Cheerful Podcast on Twitter or on Instagram, also at that address, uh, facebook.com forward slash reasons to be cheerful podcast. And also you can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Uh, this email arrives from Andy Davis, who says, Hi, David and Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's your other co host. <laughs> then send an email apologizing right, to okay. be fair to him. Yes. He says, um, He said, David and Jack. <laughs> I just finished listening to the episode on social enterprises and wanted to let you know about a brilliant one near me. It's a coffee company called Manumit, whose mission is to tackle slavery in the UK. 100% of the profits go towards anti-slavery projects and awareness campaigns, and all the beans are sourced ethically from one farm in Uganda to ensure they're grown in good working conditions. To top it off, all the employees are former traffic people, and it helps them into employment so they can rebuild their lives. It's a small operation set up in a deprived area of Cardiff, but it's growing fast. I'm sure they would appreciate a shout-out. Maybe the Houses of Parliament would like their coffee from them. Ed, can you sort it out? Do my best. Uh, Catherine Seymour emails. Hello, Ed and Jeff. I've been loving your podcast ever since a colleague introduced me to it. 
I, and this isn't just a sort of brag, by the way. I usually listen – What that that wasn't her saying that, that was me. I usually <laughs> listen whilst I'm out running. And as I've been training for a 100-kilometer run, I've been able to do a lot of catching up on the episodes I've missed. Last week, weekend, I ran the 100-kilometer race to the Stones ultramarathon and listened to reasons to be cheerful when the going got too tough. I needed some cheering distraction. Wow. Thank you both for helping me get through it. It turns out 100 kilometers is quite far. Yep. Uh, especially in the heat and on a route with lots of hills, hundred kilometers. I didn't even realize that was a thing. Is that I didn't realize that three it's a thing. three marathons almost. Yeah, wow, it's a long way. Yeah, if you want to let us know about how this podcast has helped you through some kind of physical or mental trial, then do get in touch. I've got one other. Dear Ed and Jess, thanks for the podcast. I'm a huge fan. A question for you. This is David Ralph. Following Anna Subri's suggestion that we form a government of national unity, who would you choose in the fantasy football-style cross-party cabinet? I made Ed Defra secretary, thanks very much, but he has a whimsical streak, and I wanted to put him in charge of bees and flowers. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I struggled to choose between Harriet Harman and Ken Clark for PM. What are your surprise picks? And which Tories would Ed have in the cabinet? I have to say, I, I, I would have given you something a, a bit more high profile than Defra. Well, never mind. Who, who's your who's your um, who's your surprise pick? Doesn't need to be a Tory. Who's your surprise pick for a fantasy cabinet? And they have to be an MP. No, I don't think they do. I think that's relaxed the rule. Gareth Southgate is sort of obvious, but yeah, but I think will be quite a good choice. You can't go wrong with David Attenborough. That's a good choice, and maybe Gareth is quite a good choice too. But yeah. who's a sort of more surprising choice? Maybe we should leave it with our listeners. Fantasy Cabinet. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. And here to pitch some ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, we are joined by comedian Vicky Stone. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me in the in the loft, the famous great, loft. Oh, great yeah. you're here. Great you're here. And you, 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 uh, you came down the Cycle Superhighway. Yes, the Cycle Superhighway number one. Right. From Haringey into Hackney. You don't cycle, do you? No. I'm just about off the stabilizers, but not 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 by that much. You were never tempted to do the David. Remember, I mean, sort of you know, inanimate objects, inanimate objects, made balance. Animate, yeah, you no, know, it's just not going to be my thing, really. You were never tempted to do the David Cameron thing, where to look like you really cared about the environment. You cycled everywhere whilst somebody drove behind. Nobody's you. out of fallen off. Well, you, you know, you get those things where um, they're like a sort of wooden box, but on a bike. You could be in the front of those. You know, people <laughs> That'd be kids. Good. Yeah, be yeah. Good. You could sit in one of those. You want? It's a good look. Why could, I think it's a great look, yeah, especially. Yeah. yeah, you could really pull that off. Definitely. I think. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure I could. Well, maybe Jeff could be doing the bike. <laughs> I, I can't be trusted with a bike no, either. Um, have you had much in the way of uh, road rage? You know, sort of altercations. Yeah, with I have actually, and... especially. Um, so the cycle superhighway one. Lots of it are a one-way road for motorists, but two ways for cyclists. Ooh. So lots of and lots of motorists don't know, so they think that I'm going in the wrong direction. They're like, "It's a one-way street." And I'm like, "It's not. It's the cycle superhighway." <laughs> so it's lovely to be really passive aggressive. Because uh... <laughs> a lot of cyclists now they invest in cameras, so they yeah. digitally record every interaction. And, yeah, that's and then not shame me. people on Twitter. That's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm up for a bit of Twitter shaming, but not, but not, but not via a camera on my hat. <laughs> Uh, you're going out on tour. Um, what, what's the show called? It actually doesn't have a title, uh, so that's that's the first thing. It's just me. <laughs> um, in comedy, there's a pressure to give things like titles, and they're often completely meaningless because mm. you have to title your show like nine months before you've written the thing. So I just thought, I'm just going to call it my name. I'm just going to go on tour. And then as the urgency approaches to write a tour, I'll just write a tour. 
Without having to without worry about Without having the title. to worry about untitled, yeah. yeah. But not without having to worry about crowbarring in um, some theme based on a one like one word that you put in a brochure six months ago. That's so right. very yeah. sensible. So you've brought in some ideas which are uh, potential reasons to be cheerful, Vicky. What's the What's the first one? I should preface that um, I am what you might describe as a noise nuisance. Okay. Yeah, definitely a, a noise nuisance. Um, and what I'm suggesting is some sort of sort of council-run online hub where other noise nuisances can find each other. Um, because of sheer luck, my neighbour is also a noise nuisance. Good idea. So this is a solution to noisy neighbours. Yes, it's a solution. They're, everybody's For, a yeah, noisy neighbour. Everyone. Neighbors. So is a, a commune of noisy yeah. street. Yeah. Noisy yeah. street. Not noisy street. We all go and we make noise. Like my neighbour often has noisy parties up until sort of one two o'clock in the morning they keep me awake I don't complain because my partner who is a a percussionist um, will often have a four hour rehearsal of his jazz band and play free jazz that the whole road can hear so I'm in no position to knock on my neighbour's door and go turn your party down when there's (laughs) going on for hours on end so do you think there is this unspoken thing between you where that's absolutely Absolutely, I like that idea don't you yeah I mean I wouldn't want to live near noisy street I don't well exactly so you can choose not to yeah this is this is noise town. Well, the quiet carriage. But yeah, this is the noisy, it, this, the noisy it's, street. It's the noisy street. Has anyone ever complained to you uh, about you to the council? No, no, they haven't. And um, and not, my, at least not that you're aware not, of. Not, not that I'm aware of. My mum used to do that. She used to work in the local government. So as a kid, she'd be the one having to go out and do the you know. Do the so noise. this is a form of rebellion. It's a form of rebellion. I mean, there was a situation where, as a kid, I was definitely like passed out, drunk at a party, and people go, "Is that your mum shutting us down?" No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, all right, noisy street. Definitely, absolutely. we're on. Yeah. Okay, we'll have that one. What's next, Vicky? It's something that is kind of catching on, but it's the idea of a tool library. Mm. So there are some popping up, but you, you know, like when you go down the middle aisles of Aldi. I mean, you two probably don't, but <laughs> just, just shaking your head. DIY I've been in an Aldi, <laughs> but you no, know, in the middle aisles of Aldi, you'll suddenly get random, like a bread maker or a strimmer or a chainsaw, and you'll think, oh yeah, do you know what? I will, uh, mm. I, I will have that. And um, there is there is a tool library uh, that, that's in Edinburgh, but it's a it's a private enterprise, and it says on their website that the average power drill is used a total of. 13 minutes in its entire lifetime wow so not every home needs one Mm. yeah that is true yeah so you know i need a strimmer at the moment i was looking on amazon for how much a strimmer is they're not expensive but i only need one like for 10 minutes once a year I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be streaming full time. So Are I you don't. you DIY? You're not DIY. No, no. there is a no. toolkit in the house, but I don't know if it's ever well, been it's not necessarily like Less tools, than 13 but minutes. Yes, yeah, definitely. Like, for instance, I had 13 people around for dinner, didn't quite have enough stuff. My friend lent me five plates. She's never going to get those plates back. They're still in my house. Um, but if there was a library, like for like stuff, a yes. stuff library. I think my problem would be with the, with the tool aspect of it that I wouldn't know what to do with these things in the first place. Oh, I'm sure they'd come with like a video or you a manual. Watch a YouTube pretty video. hard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But then it, if, if, you, if you made real libraries, wrong. it could go wrong. Ed if, built a barbecue the other I week. I did build a barbecue, but that's like a sort of pinnacle of your pinnacle achievement. With bricks? My, no. no, with like, you know, the thing that you just put it together and you're told and it's, you know, any dummy can do it, basically. I'm, I'm not bad with an Ikea instruction. Yeah, it was more or less yeah. that. Yeah. But I mean, generally. It's... I'm sure they'd come with it. They'd, uh, I'm not just talking about like, just, you know, there'd be a system and you'd have to have a card to prove that mm. you're not going to, I don't know. 
decapitate anyone with a chainsaw. Yeah, exactly. Or yourself. But you yeah. could go into B&Q and buy that chainsaw anyway, so... What, yeah. What's the difference from going to a I mean, library? I think this is a very good idea. I think it's not for us. Oh. Well, I no, th- I mean, no, no, a very no, good no, idea for it, the country. Well, but, I think it's a good but, idea. But just that Jeff and I won't... But we're happy to sort of help other people be part of it, correct? I, I, I think so, yeah. But I do, I do like... I mean, because I've definitely bought stuff... For the house that, that I've use never once. used or used once. Great. Great, yeah. yeah well, well uh, I think we'll that's it. it's a really good idea. Shared ownership. Definitely. Yeah. Would have tapped into your upbringing. That definitely, head, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what else do you have, Vicky? Well, I've got one more. And uh, it's, it's an, I'd, I would personally like an electric shock system for procrastinating. So my, uh, my Apple Watch currently buzzes when I've been sit, sitting down too long or if it thinks I need to... Deep move breathe. now, my my yeah. fit something or yeah. other. It, Vivo says, it fit. says move now. move now. When it tells you to breathe, is it because you've not been breathing? No, I think it's because your heart rate is up ah. and it's like calm down. That's that's what I reckon. Right. I, I mean, I'm guessing about that. Yeah, that would make sense. But that but that's what I think. And what I'd like is like this week. Um, at the moment, I'm working on a project where I've got to write. I'm writing a musical, guys. But I've got until October to write this right. musical. So for a freelancer, that's like I've got so much time. Yeah, yeah it's deadline. It's June, um, and so. This week, uh, I suddenly noticed that there's a sour cherry tree in the garden. So I've picked all the cherries. I've made a pie. I've defrosted the fridge. And what I want is my watch to go step away from the fridge. Don't even think about defrosting it for one second. Go upstairs and do some work. You're a procrastinator, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd end up with hair like Albert Einstein if I was getting an electric shock (laughs) every time I was procrastinating. I feel it's the one thing I'm really adept at is procrastination. You need a burning platform, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I need my house to be on fire. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I need something. (laughs) The flip side of that, though, we talked about this before, is you just agree to do stuff in the future because it's so far away. It seems so abstract and like it'll never happen. And then when, when... you and if somebody said, do you want to do it tomorrow? You'd say, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you never do the work until the day before. Mm. Are you happy with the electric shocks? No. No. Well, I don't know. I'm not I mean, sure. nothing straight. So a bit cruel. similar type of shock you get to licking a battery. <laughs> yes. I don't okay. think it's going <laughs> to... Nine volts. I, mm, I think there's got to be another solution. I, mean, I think it's, you're completely right about the problem. Yeah. Mm. Or like, you know, when you get a trolley and you can't take it any further. Yes. It's like that. I mean, it's slightly like you say to your kids, you can't have your screen time. And we say to our kids until you've done your homework. We sort of need that, really. Yeah, I Mm. need that. You need need somebody doing that, basically. Don't have a Twitter argument until you've written 2,000 words. (laughs) There you go. There we go. (laughs) That might be it. (laughs) That might be it. Yeah. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much for those. I think we're, we're into definitely, all of them. Definitely. And if people want to find out about the tour, they just go online. VickyStone.com. Untitled. Un- untitled. Yeah. And unplugged. Well, no, I'm plugging it now. That's yeah. what this is. <laughs> uh, Vicky Stone, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. All right, here we are in the outro and we're going on the road again. Yeah, I'm, we're on the road to Edinburgh. I'm really excited about it, I must say. And I really hope people come along 4th and 5th, 4pm, Pleasance Grand, be there yeah. or be square. Oh, and be square. And be square. We don't, yeah, we're not we're discriminating square. against square people. We're definitely square. Yeah. It's hip to be square. <laughs> Uh. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, being at the Fringe. It's just so great. You can see so many different shows in a day. Justine and I have got a babysitter for Friday and Saturday night, so we're going to be going out on the Raz. Oh, that's As I believe it's called by the young people. Will you be inviting me? Maybe. (laughs) To be part of our date night. (laughs) Why not? Spice things up. I'm not... (laughs) 
<laughs> Ed's just lowered his glasses. Which I don't normally wear, but they're very appropriate for this occasion. Yeah. Um, Keep your car keys to yourself, matey. Yeah. <laughs> but you have got pampas grass in your front garden. Sorry? That's what swingers would do in the 70s. They, If they had pampas grass growing in their front garden. What's pampas grass? Is that, I don't know, some type of plant or other. But that was a signal that they were into swinging. How did you know that? It's a well-known fact. Really? Yes. Did your parents have pampas grass? You know, is that on the citizenship test? <laughs> <laughs> what type of grass do you need growing in your front garden if you're a swinger? <laughs> Nettles, pampas grass, uh, or orchids. Yeah. It should be a new one for the citizenship test. It should. Uh, we should do some thank yous. We should. Let's thank Alice Casey from Nesta and Samer Hassan. Both of them did a really good job of explaining blockchain. And thanks so much to Vicky Stone for uh, coming on and pitching those ideas for us. And Emma Caution produced our podcast with backup and research from Alex Weissbryce and Lindsay Todd. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the idents. And Ed Seed wrote the music. The artwork was, of course... Emily Power. Designed by Emily Power. He's been Ed B&B. He's been Jeff Book. And these have been... Reason to be cheerful. Thank you.